Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt back here with Daryl Slater for the latest episode of the Talk Is Cheap podcast. A lot to discuss. <laughs> Since last time we guys saw you, the Giants have lost twice in pretty terrible fashion. Their own three, as you all will well know, and they, the, the things appear to be coming undone in the way that they've been talking to us and press conferences. And I mean, what <laughs> what do you make of where the Giants are at right now? Like. It, couldn't we couldn't even have predicted it going this poorly to start the season, right? Yeah, I think people when we looked at it and said, you know, this is a team that was obviously still rebuilding and still in the process of getting back to being a playoff contender. But you look at this, you look at this early schedule and thought, you know, Denver, Atlanta, or Denver, Washington, Atlanta, there were some winnable games there, and to start zero three in that stretch is just, especially with how bad the Falcons looked, to, to to lose that game at home on Eli Manning's number retirement day, it was just the absolute worst case scenario for the Giants, especially considering how they lost it, and so now you're looking at a team that is that is reeling early in the season for the second straight year, and yeah, Joe Judge was able to get it righted last year and contend in a bad division and be in it until the end and, and finish 6-10 and 10 and inspire some hope, but um, he's going to have to pull a rabbit out of his out of his hat here to have a similar feeling, I think, at the end of this year, and, and, and it's a really a tall order to turn this thing around, especially considering the situation they're in. Uh, like just even if you look at the offensive line, to say nothing of Blake Martinez and all these other uh, areas of attrition that they've had. Yeah, and you know we'll get into all that in, in a second. But like again, this goes back to I think we talked about this maybe before the week two game. Um, that if you had said before the season that on their schedule they would have played Teddy Bridgewater, Taylor Heineke, and then you know a broken down Matt Ryan, who he clearly like couldn't even throw the ball down the field the other day, and they lost to all three of those guys, and now. You know, so they're zero and three. At at worst, they they needed to be at least one and two coming out of that stretch. They're zero and three. Now they play the Saints on the road on Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a Saints crowd, which is already maybe the toughest environment to play in. They they haven't been there in two years. They, the fans haven't been in the stadium in two years because they started the season. Jacksonville is the hurricane, so they're coming out of a you know hurricane situation. They're all amped up, and the Giants are just an absolute mess. Their offensive line, you know. We probably should get into that. Like their their offensive line is full of guys that weren't here a month ago. Their center, it's almost actually it was exactly a month ago they acquired Billy Price from the Bengals, and then he wasn't even able to come right away because he's uh seems to be like he's unvaccinated. But um, man, like this the schedule coming up, like just I'll just run through it real quick because it's it. I think I saw someone who thinks they have the hardest schedule and remaining schedule in the NFL in general. But so they have at the Saints, at the Cowboys. The Cowboys look like the clear best uh, team in this division. Um. The Rams at home, 
the Panthers at home, the Panthers are undefeated. The Chiefs on the road on Monday Night Football. And then the the Raiders uh, in Week 9 at home, and the Raiders are also undefeated, I believe. Yeah, so you have a and couple... That's, of... Leading into the bye, and then you have Tampa Bay coming out of the bye Monday yeah. Night at home. Like, I mean, like... Bad teams always beat teams that they're not supposed to. Like the odds of that, I, I wouldn't predict them being zero and ten after week eleven. Like that, that seems insane. But on paper, you'd think it's possible at least. There are certainly th- games here where this could snowball. I, I think that's absolutely absolutely the case because even if you look at the games like you, you had alluded to, uh, there were against teams that appeared winnable. You know, beatable. I should say whether that's the Panthers or the, or the Raiders. Yeah, the Panthers that, and Raiders are two games before now, the season. You're like, those are wins, yeah. right? And now the Panthers have beaten bad teams. Uh, they they yeah. also beat the Saints, but they beat they you know they beat the Jets and uh, the, the Texans. The Texans, thank you. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I suppose it's a winnable game for the Giants, but they're not going to win any games if their defense plays. I, I think the only game, game I would bet they're they're favored for the rest of the year is at home against the Eagles. No, like, I, I should say they, they'll. I think they're not going to go winless. But, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but like, but like the fact that we even have to have that discussion kind of tells you like, like that we need. They needed to like. So the thing is, they've lost these close games. But the problem is when you lose to the Falcons in a close game, that you don't really get the credit for that. You know. So so why so why should we believe they can beat any of these teams coming up? Like, there's no reason to believe it until we see it happen. The next two weeks could be really bad. Yeah, uh, I think you're looking at a situation on Sunday that it just doesn't. There's no way you can look at that and say um you know this is a game that you give the Giants much of a chance to win in New Orleans against that Saints defensive front with a patchwork offensive line um it just has disastrous potential on so many levels on Sunday and then they go down and and play a Cowboys team that like you said looks like the the clear favorite in the NFC East um but yeah it's it's hard to imagine that this team to me, I could see two losses very easily these next two weeks. Then you're looking at 0-2 for the second straight year. And, um, you know, the honeymoon is over for Joe Judge. I mean, that's clear. It's over now. Yeah, I was just, so I, I, there are two things that I, I wanted to get into, and that's number one, when or if they should start firing some people, and number two, it's the whole Joe Judge discussion. Do you want to start with Joe Judge? Sure, yeah. No, so I, so I, just for context, you know, I mean, I, I talked about this probably on this podcast a bunch of times. And over the last year, a bunch of times, like last year when they were one and seven, he still had a near universal approval rating among fans. They like believed in his vision and all that stuff. In this in this off season, they still all loved him. Before week one, they still all loved him. Like they loved everything he says. He sounds like a football coach. Like he sounds like what you want a football coach to sound like. The things he says, the things he preaches. And then they go out on Sunday and they don't really practice what he preaches. They're undisciplined. Um, they make a lot of bad mistakes. He's you know, he'll, he'll say he's not scared to go for it on fourth, but all the evidence is that he's scared to go for it on fourth down in one situation, and he's the one that makes these decisions on fourth down. They punted it on fourth and four on the Falcons' 39-yard line. There's no His defense was about field position, playing the field position game. Why are they playing the field position game down 7-6 to six, uh, in the second quarter for a team that is not good? The Giants are not good enough to do that. Like they, they, and you're I, at home. I never, I never, I never understood the concert for a bad team – play conservatively I've never understood that like what what do you have to lose you guys are losing games anyway go make take risks anyway like so you have all that and then I I don't think he it's starting to feel like you know maybe if he wouldn't admit this obviously that he's starting to feel the heat the pressure the criticism fans have turned on him like if you tweet anything about Joe Judge everybody's like telling him to stop talking like it's gotten to that point real quick like I would not have predicted that by week four and then so on Sunday after the loss there was this weird moment at the end of the press conference, um, 
where he's walking off the podium and somebody in the crowd is like saying something, you know, irrelevant. Uh, I think he he heard it as somebody talking smack. Maybe is was my impression. J- Judge turns around and he says to the media, "We're gonna be all right, guys. We'll be all right," which was just a very weird thing to say to the media, as if like he needed to like say it to himself or something is what it felt like. And then, yeah. and then you fast forward to Wednesday, he comes out for his press conference uh, the day before. Golden Tate, our old buddy, <laughs> uh, had like said some things about him on Good Morning Football, where he said how his conditioning methods don't work clearly, and maybe that's why some guys. Hurt their hamstring the other day. Um, There's some reports about maybe players believing that. So he comes out with a, a sheet of paper that he referenced. He looks at before he's even like asked a question. Like somebody asks something kind of related but not directly. And then he's like, I know what the next question is going to be. And then he has the sheet of paper and he starts listing off all the ways his conditioning worked last year. I don't know who gave him that information, how quickly it came together. I'm imagining some like quality control guy like banging away on the keyboard or something. <laughs> um, and, and how to prove it or whatever. But so he goes through all these things, which is, again, a very weird thing to do. And it, it kind of shows the sign of somebody who feels like he needs to, I see, I'm right, guys. You, you're Justify. Wrong. Yeah. And, and then, and then uh, he also, um, he gets really defensive about, you know, not being fearful of going for it on fourth down, which, again, like he hasn't shown a willingness to do that in situations where he should. But, like, what, what do you think about the way it's all devolved into this? Like, I, I don't think it could have been in a worse spot right now. It's probably. His approval rating has never been lower. For sure. I mean, for sure. I mean, 6-13, and 13 and, and fans are starting to expect some results here. This is a team that's spent in the offseason. The roster is better. So, like, last year the excuse is always, oh, he wasn't. he's not calling the plays and he's still not. The roster is not good enough. Okay, but the roster is better this year, so they should be better. And, and they should be beating bad teams, and they're not. And, he, and you know, I think if you he, – you know, he's going to be a consistent guy with his message. He's one of those type of guys. A lot of these coaches are. And so – I think for a fan base that sees these results constantly, and and they even going back before him, all all the the misery that the jet the Giants have been through, Jets like misery. I've been forty and slipped there, <laughs> you know, since their last winning season in twenty sixteen. It's just an accumulation of just frustration uh, among this fan base, and people are just sick of it, and uh, they're tired of hearing uh, Joe Judge after losses try to spin positive all the time and and not criticize anyone and not acknowledge. Um, you know, how, um, uh, you know, frustrating and angering these losses are to, you know, I'm sure he feels that they are, but I feel like maybe he has to, he thinks he has to keep up, keep this stable. Well, yeah, his his whole, his whole act facade, his whole act of like saying, you know, there are a lot of good things from that game. Like he's like, nobody wants to hear that. And like, you know, the same lines with the fans, tough place to play blue collar, all those things about New York, whatever. I mean, as if everyone here works in like a textile mill, I mean, no, whatever, but that's just my (laughs) cynicism. But if that's his that's his shtick and that's his line and I and I think if they're winning, sure, people are on board with it. You know, he's General Patton. If they're if they're <laughs> losing, you know, he's Dan Quayle. You know, <laughs> like, or, or whatever the analogy would be for ineptitude and just someone who's just bumbling. So, um, you know, I think he's a guy who's going to stay consistent with. And so it just depends on the results. And if if they're winning, you know, people are going to be fine with that. And if they're not, it's going to become a tired act very quickly. Um, because a lot, you know, a lot of what he puts out there is that uh, you know football guy, football coach persona, and you know maybe that that might just be him. But uh, I think it's it's an it's an hard to say it's an act because maybe it's not an act, but it is wearing thin um, with a fan base that just wants to see some darn results after a while and has not seen it. And 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 the justif- you know, it, it feels like he's on his heels a little bit with with justifying some of these decisions, um, but. 
yeah, I mean, winning cures all. Like, but like I just said, it's hard to imagine them winning the next two weeks. Yeah, and and I think everybody, not just us, but I think we talked, we've talked in the past about how that his methods, like they were all, it was always going to be everybody would love him if if they were winning, and if they're losing, then you could see it kind of spiraling, and that's kind of what's happening now. I mean, we saw in week two Kenny Galladay yelling on the sideline, Darius Tony, you know, subtweeting on on Instagram, and you know. Jabil Peppers has like very clearly looked upset with his role, and um, you just hear rumblings about about this team and how things are looking behind the scenes right now, and it's it's not great. And and you know if you had asked me before the season like what percentage would you put on Joe Judge getting fired after year two, I would put it you know single digits, five percent less. Like I just didn't see it. But if they if they have an absolutely disastrous season, maybe they don't only win three games, or because that you know. They have been close to winning a few times, and you think maybe they get lucky a few times and finally get through. But like if, the, if this team goes three and fourteen, or or four and I don't know what, if they get four wins, like that's it, it has to be a discussion, especially if you know yeah. you move on from Dave Gettleman, which I think is a foregone conclusion at this point. You would think you never know with John Mara. Um, there's the whole idea that a new GM is going to want his own coach in theory, unless Joe Judge is the one picking the GM, I guess. But like. Where 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 do you stand on that part of like job security? I guess I still think it's really unlikely. Yeah. I mean, they gave him a a six year contract, right? Yeah, um, I think so. Um, or maybe I'm getting that confused with Joe Douglas. But e- either way, no matter what contract they gave him, you know, he's a, John Mara said this from the very beginning in in 2020 in January. Um, talked to him about this, and he said, you know, we're going to be patient with this guy. He's a young guy. He's, late 30s, first rookie head coach. Um, they went the decisive route and got rid of Pat Shermer after two years. Honestly, I would still be really, really shocked if they fired Joe Judge after two years just because of everything John Mara has said. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's a number of different ways they could go with the GM, You know, presuming they get rid of Dave Gettleman. They could go internal and promote Kevin Abrams. I know people want them to think outside the box and all that, but he- here's the thing. like. John Mayer is not just going to – now, I'm not saying what's right or what's wrong. I, I do think they should think outside the box, but I'm just saying what's most likely. Just because you want it to happen doesn't mean he's going to do it. I mean, yeah. the guy is – how old is John Mayer? All we can do is point is at evidence, yeah. He's like 70-something years old. He's not going to necessarily change his full approach and go and hire someone completely from the outside. I think it's still possible they could promote Kevin Abrams from within. Well, and they also hired that guy, Kyle O'Brien, from the Lions uh, this offseason, and he's – so he's in the organization already. Too. Yep, yeah. and and so they could, you know, so he, I guess he's a quasi like outside yeah. outside voice. But they, I I could see that. I mean, they, Joe Judge has plenty of power, um, and certainly he would have input on who gets the GM title, even if that person is not, you know, a full power GM. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things, I could see that happening. Like it, a full on house cleaning where they fire the GM and the coach, and they hire a GM from the outside to hire a new coach. I still think that's really unlikely. I mean, yeah. um, just because of everything John Mara has said about showing patience with Joe Judge and knowing that he's going to have to learn on the job and all that stuff. Now, I'm not saying what what's right. I you know should they? I don't think. To, I mean, right now it's like it's a zero oh, and three. There's so many different ways this thing could yeah. go. Uh, if they win three games, should they fire him? I don't. It just all depends on how those losses yeah. happen. I when think, when it, what, what a lot of what it goes back to is John message John Mara John message John Mara has you know. His message all offseason was he's tired of losing. It's time for us to win. They went and spent all this money on all these guys to fix the offense. The offense still isn't scoring. So at what point does John put his money where his mouth is and say he's tired of he's tired of losing, so what are you going to do about it? Um, and, and to that point, like, so when when or if do you think Dave Gettleman gets fired and when or if do you think 
Jason Garrett gets fired. I, I I don't I don't know what the point would be in in firing Gettleman right now. Yeah, the one no. the one the one tipping point is the trade deadline. Yeah, if they decide they want to be sellers, which I don't know right. if they have a history of being a team that is willing to do that. So. Well, what are you going to get? Evan Ingram for you know bag of balls? That's what I'm for saying. Evan they, Ingram? they waited like, too long to trade Ingram. Yeah. Right, so point, who, yeah. who's who's tradable on your roster that you're going to get anything for anyway? Um, so that's that's the one thing that they run into. Um, I th- I think they play it out with Gettleman and then he he retires slash is fired at the end of the year. I think that's the most likely scenario. Jason Garrett, obviously, you know, you see in you don't really see in season GM changes that much because there's not really an advantage to it. Yeah. Uh, because, because it's not like yeah, you can if, go, if you're, and if you're if you're hiring somebody from outside, you need to request interviews. And, right. Yeah. That's not happening. And nobody's going to let you do that. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make sense. So. It, of course, you could you could ditch a coordinator in season, give a new voice in there, a chance to help develop your young quarterback. Uh, so yeah, and give give that guy a chance. Like if it's Freddie Kitchens, right, to be the OC, give him a chance to audition for the full time job, and maybe they go forward with that. Because it's not like, again, I think it's an outside, very outside chance you fire the head coach. So Joe Judge will get to see Freddie Kitchens. Uh, how does he do? Maybe they keep him. Maybe they go outside. So. Yeah, I think you know you could be looking at a situation here where the bye week is the tipping point for Jason Garrett. Usually, geez, they still have a lot more games before the bye week, though, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's all those games geez, I listed. Yeah, geez, Louise. I mean, they got six more games before the bye week. I mean, where, so it's tough to fire him in between. Where now do you? And then. Where yeah. where does the? I guess they have a Monday night game with Chiefs, so there's an extra day in theory. I think you got to look at the the Rams at home, Carolina at home. You got back to back home games. Carolina is probably a beatable team, so. Could you fire him going before the Kansas City game? I don't. I mean, it seems more likely they wait till the bye week if they do. Probably, it, yeah. yeah. And it's a week ten bye, but I mean, you're not unless, changing unless, your of whole course, yeah, unless of course it's a complete disaster over these next. I mean, a lot, a lot of it will be punitive, right? I mean, yeah. like, what do you accomplish firing? That's what people ask, right? What yeah. do you accomplish? It's a pound of flesh for a for an angry fan base. Is what yeah. it is, it's punitive more than anything. Usually, don't see a lot of. It's not like hockey where they change a coach mid season, the guy goes on to win the Stanley Cup or something. Usually, don't see a lot of tangible results from an in-season coordinator or coach yeah. change well i mean because like you're because you're not going to hire externally so you're just going to promote right. somebody who's just going to use the scheme you already have in place and maybe call plays differently which i think would be the appeal of a freddie kitchens or whatever but um yeah i mean th- those are the those are the two big storylines i think are going to be over the course of the season i mean we should talk about the offensive line a little bit we alluded to it you and i are working on something that's going to come out uh, probably tomorrow so we won't spoil it too much, but like this, just to give you an idea of what this offensive line looks like, like right now. So Matt Parrott, they don't trust enough to play at all. So he's not playing at right tackle, whereas Nate Solder is the entrenched starting right tackle. Matt Parrott has been getting some reps at guard in practice. He's never played guard before. Billy Price is the locked-in starting center, especially now that Nick Gates is out for the year with a broken leg. Shane Lemieux is out for the year with a knee injury at left guard. So they had been starting Ben Bredesen, who they also just acquired a month ago. He's injured. He has a hand injury. So now their only options. I left guard this week, assuming they don't move Billy Price over, which I guess is possible, but then you're changing centers yeah. again. Who's your center? You know, so you, they have a guy, Wes Martin, they just signed off the practice squad of Washington this week. Earlier this week, they have Matt Scora, who's been on the practice squad this season, is a Who? career center. He has played right guard. So in theory, I guess you could put Will Hernandez at left guard, but that he hasn't really shown very good at either side. Um, they have Jonathan Harrison on the practice squad, who they just signed last week. He was on, in training camp with them all year. He's mostly been a center in the NFL, but he has some experience at guard. And they have Matt Parrott, who I just said has never played guard. And and so you have that. You have Andrew Thomas, who's playing really well. He's kind of been the anchor of the unit, but everybody else has been kind of a question mark. And it's kind of funny that it worked out that way, where he was the biggest problem last year. But I think that 
it's hard to even describe. Like, that, I just said so many things. This offensive line couldn't be a bigger mess right now. And they just did not, you know, I guess you, you can't plan for injuries, but it's not like the guys that were, you know, start. Like Shane Lemieux, they were relying on, and he wasn't very good last year anyway. Like, it's just an absolute disaster. They could stink at left guard even if Lemieux had remained healthy. That's entirely yeah. possible. It's not like you could fall back on the argument that they lost uh, – you know, a Pro Bowl left guard. Uh, they didn't. I mean, they lost a very stable center in Nick Gates, and that was a significant loss. Billy Price is a clear downgrade there. And um, and, and what do you expect? Because, I mean, this is a gr- this is a line that gets back to, you know, after they cut Kevin Zeiler, G- Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge, and Joe Judge, let's loop him in, and Joe Judge, because he has significant say in this organization. They didn't go out and get a, a, a significant guard okay so now you're looking at a situation where your starters are will hernandez and shane lemieux who might just be backup quality players so then the guys behind them are even worse than those guys so now you're looking at you know they kenny wiggins and all this revolving door that they've had at at guard and bredesen and all this and so if you had brought in a guard a a a, you know a well-regarded proven however you put it guard then you're looking at a situation, okay, you got another piece to use. You got a little more wiggle room there. Now they had no wiggle room. Now they scrambling, were Scrambling, yeah. Yes, totally scrambling. So you bring in a guard, you say, all right, Will Hernandez, you're not a, now a backup. Or uh, And he, he would be a perfectly fine backup. Yeah. That, then if, the, if, that, if that newcomer hypothetically got hurt, you could say, look, we, we tried. We brought in a guard. Now we got to go to Will Hernandez. At least he has starts, okay? But the now we've got to go to is like, a disaster situation right now because they didn't address this. I mean, it's just a, it's just a complete domino effect of all the things that Dave Gettleman has done. He caught Kevin Zeitler because of these, uh, you know, because he needed money know, to get receivers and all that stuff. Get yeah. receivers and to resign Leonard Williams, and he needed the money to get receivers because Golden Tate didn't work out. And like, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's, it's just trying like, to fix fix a mistake that you made because you messed up previously making a mistake it's like yeah. a, it's like a weird i think i texted you this last night it's like a breaking bad season right like you're constantly like trying to patch up holes in the dam and each one's getting worse and next thing you know dave gettleman's running around midfield in his tidy whities and pe- <laughs> people will get that if you've seen breaking bad but don't uh well, i mean excuse the, the so, indelicate so, uh, <laughs> well the, and this like and i said this to you too it, it's it kind of felt like perfect full circle that golden mm-hmm. tate is the one that kind of caused this firestorm when he's supposed to be in year three of his contract, instead he's on Good Morning Football, making Dave Gettleman's coach look worse. Yep. Yeah. I mean, as if as if Golden Tate wasn't enough of a mess when he was with yeah, the Giants. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, they, that offensive line, like, I mean, and that was supposed to be Dave Gettleman's baby. You know, he that was the thing. I, I think that I, I found I was reading the quotes from his introductory press conference. He said the the Giants are going to work their fannies off to get the offensive line f- fixed. I mean, he'll never live down the hog mollies. No, never. Oh, yeah, that's brought up constantly. Among the, among the many quotes, he'll never live down. Yeah. Nope. Um, yeah, just decision after decision on the offensive line that just did not work. Like the and it, it's funny. Like you could, I don't even think we could criticize Rob Sale at this point because look at what he's had to work with. He's constantly he's talked about. You know, you, you have a new guy coming in every week that you have to get ready. You have to get him on the iPad. You have to you know get him uh, ingratiated, and he deserves credit for getting Andrew Thomas. Fixed in a way. I mean, it's early, but you know he looks fixed. He's not making mistakes. Even if he's maybe he's never going to be a star left tackle, but you know Rob Sale's done a good job with him. And then the rest of the group has just been, you know, shuffling in and out. Will Hernandez still doesn't look very good. Matt Parrott is kind of a disaster. If he's a third round pick, that can't beat out Nate Solder. Like it's it's just hard to make anything make make two cents of this situation. It's, I think that, you know this goes back years. The Giants' offensive line has struggled for years, and they 
you can get by with a in an average offensive line. Maybe three fifths of your line is good, and the other two aren't very good. And the, you know, it's funny looking back. The Giants in 2011 had the, in, according to PFF, had the worst pass blocking rating in the NFL. They won the Super Bowl. Um, now they didn't have a great regular season necessarily yeah. that year. Well, no, they won 11 games, right? So yeah. Um, okay. So so yeah. So look, you don't have that. Just shows you know you don't have to be incredible, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since they've had a really good offensive line, and one of the reasons for that is, uh, you know, I uncovered this little nugget the other other day. They have not drafted and re-signed. Now, Nick Gates wasn't a draft pick, so I get that. And um, so, But they have not drafted and and given a second contract mm. to an offensive lineman uh, since Will Beatty. <laughs> uh, 2009, they drafted him. So, yeah. Yeah, so the st- that just gets to the fact of stability, a lack of stability on the line, and it's it's the position group where you need the stability the most. Yeah, and so we can spin this ahead of the Saints game. So, I mean, the Saints have a very good defensive front, and so you, you're, you're going to have Billy Price playing in a very loud environment. You're going to have a left guard who has never started at left guard for the Giants, and they're going to have to block Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport and all these guys. Um, I mean, and the, Elsewhere, so we probably talk about some of the injury stuff. You alluded to Blake Martinez earlier. He tore his ACL. He's out for the year. He's probably one of the five most important players on this team. Uh, he, ha- he has the green dot in his helmet. He's the one that calls the plays in there. He's gone for the year. Tate Crowder has to play in there. Tate Crowder, you know, he's shown flashes of being talented, but, you know, he struggles covering running backs, and they have Alvin Kamara this week. So that that's like a real problem area um, with not an easy solution. And then uh, wide receiver, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton both injured their hamstrings on Sunday. Kenny Galladay still not 100% healthy. He, his uh, hip is hurt. Though they say it's different than his uh, injury from last year. So... They, they almost have no choice in theory but to play Kadarius Tony more. He played more last week. They still only targeted him three times or two times at yeah, three. Um, Colin Johnson wound up being like Kenny Galladay in the offense, which, you know, no few people listening to this probably ever heard of Colin Johnson before last week. Like, I, like how do you see this wide receiver situation playing out against the Saints, like who have pretty good secondary? Team? Yeah, not good. Yeah. Not good. You're asking Kadarius Tony to be, you know, more ready than he probably is to contribute significantly, yeah. and that's, you know, some of that's not his fault. He's just not a polished receiver. Some of it, you know, is bad luck, whether it's um, the injuries he's dealt with. But the bottom line is he's not in a position to contribute significantly right now, and that's why they're not playing him. But you know, if you're without your slot receiver and Sterling Shepard, they're going to have no choice but to probably place Tony significant uh, snaps in the slot and um, and hope that he just looks more ready than he in reality is um, and, and 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 plays up to the occasion. So, uh, yeah, I, I just you know maybe he just they can find a way to use his athleticism, but that that's your hope there is you just put him out there and let him try to wing it a little bit. That's really what they're doing, winging it. <laughs> not not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think we both alluded to it, but how, how do you see this game going on Sunday? I, I, I forget what the score I predicted was, but I had a pretty significant blowout. Yeah, I picked 28 for, uh, 28-24 for the Saints. So I uh, closer than people imagine, you know, or would envision a four-point I mean, uh, win James Winston's Saints. a guy that can be prone to mistakes, so if they can force some turnovers, then they can keep it close. For sure. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the, I think the Giants' offense is, has played – reasonably well in terms of Daniel Jones playing well. Obviously, the points haven't been there, and he's shorthanded at receiver. But, uh, you know, I think eventually, you know, Jones playing well is going to start to matter in terms of the production. Now, maybe 24 points is too much, but maybe I'm being a little too generous there at 28-24. I could see it being a blowout. I just don't uh, – I think they're going to feel the loss of Blake Martinez in terms of what this defense is going to be able to do. But, 
you know, you're right. Your, your only hope, if you're the Giants, I think, is that Jameis Winston has kind of a clunky game. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, you hope Daniel Jones, who has played pretty well, if he plays that well again, that he actually it actually ends in touchdowns because they're just not scoring enough. Um, all right, we can wrap up on that note. we got to get back out to practice soon. Uh, as always, if you're not subscribed, make sure you do. We're on all the podcast apps, and uh, we'll check back with you guys next week.